Paranormal Truth and Reality with host Chris Houston. A show for those with a passion for the paranormal. And now, welcome to the show. Welcome to Paranormal Truth and Reality. I'm your host, Christopher Houston, and we are here with a very special guest again this week, Lance Everhard. Lance joined us once before talking about his story. He actually – he and his family went through a tragic paranormal situation that was quite scary for them for a while until he learned how to deal with it that was actually presented on The Dead Files. Um, and, uh, and of course, we spoke about that before. I'm sure we're probably going to touch base a little bit more on it today, but welcome, uh, Lance. It's good to hear from you again. Hey, it's great to be back with you, Chris. So um, just to kind of recap with the listeners that are just jumping in, and I'm sure you've told your story thousands of times now, so most people probably know who you are. But let's just kind of touch base a little bit on it so that we can kind of up-to-date them, and then we can, uh, I don't know, discuss whatever you want to discuss. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Um, you know, our, our family, we moved to a house in rural Missouri, close to a town called Kearney. Uh, we moved here in 2008, in the winter of 2008. Um, it was quite an environmental culture shock for us to move from uh, the Houston, Texas area up to the Midwest. And, you know, as, uh, as soon as we moved in, you know, the family started experiencing things. I'm going to be uh, honest, or to be totally honest, I never believed in anything paranormal. I never believed in ghosts. I never believed in anything along those lines. So I was very, very skeptical, but it got to the point where, you know, there was one particular incident that happened to me that I, I just couldn't deny. I couldn't explain away. Um, we went through just really eight years of pure hell, torture, just um, almost to the point where we just withdrew and really almost got to the point where we really didn't leave the house, uh, you know, just because we didn't want people to judge us. We didn't want people to ridicule us. And, you know, and being in a small town, it's very, very difficult, you know, to talk to people about certain things. People are going to, people are going to ask are they going to judge you? They're going to ask questions. They're going to think that, oh, you're just crazy. So we didn't want to do that, and plus we just moved to this town. So, you know, until we, we finally, reaching out to the Dead Files, the television show, was that was a last resort for us. You know, we were to the point where we didn't care. We, you know, we didn't care if we were going to be on TV. We didn't care if we were going to be judged. We had gotten to the point now that we, at that point, we were just so desperate that we wanted help and we wanted whatever was torturing us and terrorizing us just to be gone. Well, you know, you make up a valid point that uh, let's dig into that a little bit more. Um, most people that don't go through a paranormal occurrence, the curious people, a lot of the investigation teams that are out there, um, you know, the average public, they don't go through what, you or even myself went through so it's kind of hard for them to to comprehend that if that makes sense um i know that from a personal standpoint when i went through my experiences it was hard to go out because you knew you were going to be judged and then it's really hard to explain to be frankly honest with you because if you try to people would just kind of look at you like what 
<laughs> yeah, you know exactly. That's you know that's the thing is like how do you tell people that yeah this is going on, you know because the novelty of living in like a haunted house or you know where certain things would move that that wears off pretty quickly, you know because it doesn't take long for things to turn sinister. Yeah, and the the thing is when they do. I don't think a lot of listeners and a lot of people and even a lot of investigators, to be honest with you, because they've never dealt with it, um, understand that when it starts to turn sinister, so to speak, some very unexplainably violent and scary things can happen. And when you're trying to talk to somebody about that, one of two things always happen. You have the people that 100% believe in the paranormal that listen to your story and they've either had an experience similar which is the smallest portion of them, or they'll at least accept it. And then you have the vast amount of people that automatically look at you like this is either a lie, you're crazy, uh, or there's something that we don't know about here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, there, there, you, you, kinda, you get both extremes. You get the people that you know do believe in it, but they, they believe in it in a thrill-seeking type manner, you know, uh-huh. they, the first thing that, you know, you would tell people that, we would tell people that this is going on, there's, oh, can I come and stay at your house? And we're like, no, you can't come <laughs> stay at our house, you know, you know, do you do ghost tours? No, we don't do any of that, you know, so, and then you have the opposite side of it, people says, oh, of a wide variety of responses, everything like you need to get right with religion. Uh, <laughs> that's impossible to happen. You watch too many, you watch too much movies, you know, oh, you're making it all up. You just want attention. I believe me. The last thing I want is, is attention. So, uh, especially if I wanted attention, I certainly wouldn't be coming up with the, a ghost type story. I'm sure I could find something else. Well, it's actually kind of amazing because I know in my situation – now, my family and friends will tell you that it, it's, it's 100 percent real. Anybody that ever visited my home will tell you it's 100 percent real while it was going on. The residents that purchased the home off of us eventually because I learned to deal with it, but I couldn't stop it, I guess you could say. Um, so eventually I just sold the home. The residents that moved into the home will tell you that it happens, but the outside public – I don't think they they comprehend that. So like you said, a lot of people go, well, you should have kept it and done ghost tours. Well, to be frankly honest with you, from my standpoint, I can honestly tell everybody you would not have wanted to go through what I went through. <laughs> no, the, and the last thing is, no, we, I don't look at our home and I don't look at our uh, at our experience as a profit center. You know, it's. Uh-huh. It's not something that we we want to make money off of. The whole point in sharing our story is hopefully that people will come forward and they will realize that yeah, they went through the exact same things that we did, and you know they they got help. So maybe if we come forward, maybe we talk to some people, maybe we get some advice, some good advice, then you know maybe we can live a normal life too. Because I I know. It's, but I know for a fact that there, there's people out there who are suffering, and I've met some of them. Some of them have actually approached us, and they say, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. I, 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 my family's being terrorized. What can I do? So that's the whole point of sharing our story. 
Well, it makes sense to me. I know I was glad to hear about your story and about several other people's stories that were similar because it, it, it made me feel like I wasn't alone. For years, I went through that withdrawal a little bit. I, I saw a psychiatrist. I have a long story behind that. I won't share to the listeners because this is more about you. I went through a lot of things, and even after I learned that it wasn't me, it was still hard speaking about that story because it seemed so impossible that you feel like you're alone unless you know other people that have been through similar situations that you can tie two and two together and say, you know what, a lot of the same stuff happened to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I hear that you know quite a bit, and you know, I, it always starts with I've never told anybody about this. You know, so and. I like to think that we have helped some people and that we've had given them the strength and courage to, you know, come out and get help. You know, we always preference everything that we talk about with people who come and approach us is that we're not paranormal experts. We're not investigators. You know, we, we don't, we won't come to your house and tell you this and this and this, you know, but we will tell you what we did and we'll, we'll try to guide you in the right direction where you can get help and maybe, and maybe um, connect you with somebody who can help you. You know, the first step is in in solving your problem is one, admitting that you have a problem, and then come out and talk to somebody about it. Well, and I think you, you we touched base of this on the last conversation, actually, when you spoke, but I think you, you bring up a valid point because it's very complicated to find a professional paranormal team that gets past – the thrill-seeking and the want to debunk to realize that the residents need help, um, and that could be a real issue. <laughs> yeah, that is a huge issue. You know, there, there's no regulatory body that's policing any of this, and not that there needs to be. I, I don't. I'm not advocating for that at all. But you know, you you we tell people that if you're going to bring somebody into your home, do your due diligence ask for references, you know, do some research on them. Because um, we experienced the bad side of that. You know, we we had a thrill-seeking team come in that totally misled themselves. And all they did is end up making our situation worse. And we actually have talked to some paranormal teams, um, offering them advice so they could, their investigations can be more, um, you know, client-centric, where they're, they're more involved with solving the people's problems and giving them answers other than just seeking thrill-seeking things. Well, listeners, just so that you know, there are actually three types of paranormal investigation teams that are out there right now. The first type is a thrill-seeking team. They go in with all the gadgets they see on TV. They think they know what they're doing with the blessings and their own beliefs, and sometimes that can really irritate a situation. The second team doesn't spend much time in residential unless asked to go there, and that's the scientific teams. Most of those work with college universities. They do uh, studies to disprove things. They're a little bit more of a skeptical side of things, and that's often where I come from um, while I was in, in my learning process. And the third and final set of teams are actually the teams that understand that difference, and they're the smaller teams. They've usually been in it for quite a long period in time, and they understand that when you're doing a residential case, the people in the home are experiencing something very real to them, whether you find out it's real or not. 
And you have to figure out how to correspond with that, work with those people, and find a level where they can make sure that when you leave, they have the tools that they need, whether it's paranormal, whether it's not paranormal, to change the environment in their home. Exactly. Uh, and that's a very important thing for investigators to understand, especially a lot of these new investigators that come out right now because they're all excited from what they see on TV. They've went out to the um, commercial spots, and commercial spots are fun to go to. I go to them all the time. But um, there's a big difference between commercial and residential. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're a paranormal team and a, a family reaches out to you and says, you know, we need help. You know, the, the first thing that you, you want to do is, at least my opinion, is one, get to know the family, talk to them, you know, have conversations with them before you even start doing anything. Um, you know, make sure they're comfortable with you and you make sure that you're comfortable with them. Because even on the flip side of this, you know, there, there are people that are out there that they they just want attention. They they want to be on a television show. They want to say that this and this is happening. So you know there's a the, there's a flip side of that. So it, it takes the paranormal team asking those questions and getting to know them and kind of screening them, I guess, and venting people out. You know, when we were on the show, we went through an incredible amount of vetting. They had a huge vetting process, and, you know, we went through a lot of interviews with them. It wasn't that they just called us up and said, hey, we got your story. We're going to – a camera crew's on their way, so we're going to start filming. No, I mean, it was a long process, you know, before they even agreed to take our case. Well, that's really the way it should be. One of the mentors um, a long time ago that I started with, he, he had a questionnaire that they filled out, of course um, – now, I didn't participate with him, but I participated with other groups. They would send people like us out to the location to get to know the family. You'd uh, videotape interviews with the family. You generally would spend time with them outside of the home for observation a little bit. It's a process where you have to get to know the people and observe the home when you get a chance in order to realize, yeah, you know, something really is going on here we can't put two and two together with. Um, of course, I was a small part in that. I don't want people to think I was the give the wrong impression to the listeners. All I did was an interview process and then handed it over to somebody else. Then they handed it to somebody else that did another interview process and then handed it to somebody else during that process on the teams that I worked with um, to kind of get an assessment. So I could see where they would probably do that because it's more important for them to do that when they put you on TV. They want legitimacy, if at all possible, because yeah. you're you're helping a real person and you're not getting feedback somewhere along the line that's negative. <laughs> and, you know, that was one reason why we reached out to the dead files. You know, we, we felt comfortable with the show. We, we didn't think it was like a thrill-seeking type of show. We, you know, we, we watched it and was like, wow, they're really trying to help people. And that's what we need. We, we need somebody that is really willing to help. And I have to say that the entire experience with, you know, Payless Productions, their production company, and the show itself was, I mean, they were incredible. When they, when they mentioned on the show, when they used the word clients, that is exactly how we were treated. We were treated like clients. And I... 
I know it, it, it may be sound cliche, but I, I don't know where we would be today if we wouldn't have reached out to them, we wouldn't gotten help. Because like I said earlier, that, that was our last hope. Because we didn't know what we were going to do at that point. Well, and um, we discussed, and listeners, we discussed the process that they went through, and we won't get into a lot of detail on that one. You can hear it on the last show, obviously, if you go to the website at BBS and look for Paranormal Truth and Reality. Um, But we'll get into a little bit more detail this end on the other portion of that because we didn't touch base on that until the end of the show. But we discussed their follow-up process a little bit because a lot of what you see in the show – was not the total amount of how they helped you. Um, And I think that's important for investigators and the listeners to understand when they're watching some of these TV shows because a lot of times they only see one portion of it, but they don't understand that there is a follow-up process involved. A friend of mine, Jack Kenna, does that all the time, even though he's on TV on an office. He follows up with a lot of his clients on a regular basis. He'll come home. And he's got a whole list of people that he calls once a year and says, hey, is everything going well? Do you need me to refer you to other things? Do you need anything else? Okay, great. He keeps in touch with virtually everybody. But um, to my understanding, they actually referred you to several places to help you in this process once they left. Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't just, uh, you know, they shoot the show and they left. You know, Amy Allen gave us a laundry list of the things that we needed to do and started to point us in the right direction. And she referred us to a a Reiki master. And when we had difficulties getting in touch with that Reiki master, you know, Amy stepped in and she helped, she reached back out to the Reiki master and was able to get her to contact us. So it wasn't like, uh, okay, everything is done, and now we're going to pack up and leave and make sure you do everything that's on Amy's list, and you'll never hear from us again. You know, we, we're still in touch with Amy. Um, we communicate with her several times throughout the year. She uh, checks in on us. So, and, and that says a lot about her character because I don't know how many episodes they've shot, but uh, for her to continue to reach out to us and talk to us and continue to correspond with us, that says a lot about her integrity. Absolutely, and it says a lot about the show as well. Um, the investigator what, – what a lot of people don't realize about these shows is even when you get to the point of the dead files, everybody assumes that, that they're making millions of dollars and they're running around all over the place and so forth, and that's really not the case. These, no. A lot of these people are real people. <laughs> they are, you know, and, and they work hard. And we were treated with just an incredible amount of respect from everybody that was here. And but they are, they're regular people, and you know, they they have a brutal travel schedule. I mean, it's it's not like you know they're going to vacation spots. I mean, they're they're going to some really remote outlining places, and. Then, and sometimes the weather conditions aren't aren't the greatest. I I think that the most recently they were in Wisconsin, and that's not a place you want to be in the winter. Absolutely not. I can vouch for that. I lived in Wisconsin for four years. They're probably under easily somewhere between five to twelve foot of snow right now. <laughs> yeah. So you know, but you know, they've the show. And Steve and Amy and the producers and everybody, you know, they genuinely wanted to help us. 
you know, and they made sure that we were comfortable with the entire process. And they, and it's really, it was really difficult to cram our entire story. And I'm sure the other clients will say the same thing. It's really difficult to cram the entire story into a 45 to 50 minute episode. This really is hard, you know, because they, they shoot about 80 hours worth of uh, film. I can imagine it's hard. Well, and 45 minutes is not a long time. Coming from somebody that is producing a documentary that I wanted to keep at two hours and roughly about, hmm, I still got 2,000 hours worth of footage. I'm, I'm down, it was 2,500. Now I'm down to 2,000 out of eight to 10,000 hours of footage. I'll tell you, it is not an easy task just for two hours. If you narrow that down to 45 minutes, plus you got to put in your B-roll and your cuts and you got to do the audio dub overs. You really don't end up telling the whole story. It would probably, no. in, in a case like yours, it would probably take four or five episodes just to dig in. <laughs> I really, yeah, I believe that. And I, I thought that the show did a really good job of telling our story, you know, or, or basically kind of summarizing our story. Uh, I can just imagine how difficult it is for somebody who said, okay, we got all this footage, we got to put it in the show and make sure that we tell their story, genuinely tell their story, and tell it as accurately as we possibly can. So what are we going to put in to make the show flow? So, you know, that's a difficult process. But I, I, I think that they did a really good job of telling our story. Well, I actually I watched it again today, and I watched it before the first episode, and I, I got to say they're, they're one of the only shows that I actually spend the time watching. I, I have maybe two shows I watch because most of the ghost hunting shows, as we all know, they're all kind of the same repetitive thing, even though the actors are great and, and they spend a lot of time on there, and some of them I've learned to become fairly good friends with. It's just um, not my forte, so you have to really pick and choose the ones that uh, – you know are genuine um and they spend a lot of time trying to be as genuine as possible <laughs> yeah i i get that and that's the one thing that i really like about the show is that you know they dig into the history and they dig into the history of not only the house but the area so i i like that aspect of the show i like the history side of it i'm kind of a, a history buff and that was one of the things that really attracted me to where we where we live now you know, in western Missouri, because we live close to a small town called Kearney, and Kearney is the birth and burial place of the outlaw Jesse James. So there's a, a lot of violence that has gone on on this side of the state, especially, you know, between Missouri and Kansas. So, I mean, if you if you do your history and you really dig into it, you can see that the problems between Missouri and Kansas that was really kind of the beginning of the Civil War. Yeah, it started with a lot of uh, um, stealing of cattle at one point, if I remember right, and uh, I'd have to look everything. into it. It was, yeah. you know, Missouri was a pro-slave state, and Kansas wanted to enter the Union as a free state. So you had pro-slavery on one side of the border, and then on the other side you had an abolitionist state. So you can just imagine those two did not get along well. So there was a lot of raids on from Missouri over to Kansas. Uh, 
Uh-huh. Um, and even from Kansas over to Missouri. So just a lot of bloody history. And then even after the Civil War, there was a lot of bitterness in Missouri over Union troops. And that's kind of what led to a lot of bloodshed and, you know, Jesse James coming into the picture. Well, Jesse was a unique kid himself. I mean, he uh, he had a little bit of a sordid past, and and uh, everything that you read on him, even when you try to get, dig deep into the history, I'm a big fan of Western, uh, the Western culture <laughs> in general, cowboys, the outlaws, the whole nine yards. He was uh, misunderstood in some ways, and in other ways, he really was kind of a brutal guy. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, he was, you know, misunderstood. He was misrepresented. Um, he was a, you know, when you think about it, if what he did, to, if he did today, what he did back then, man, he would be on death row, you know, <laughs> but the fact that, you know, this part of Missouri was very pro-Confederate and pro-Union. So a lot of people looked the other way when, Jesse and the Cole Youngers and the the James Younger gang when they did stuff, you know, because they felt just as jaded as Jesse and Frank did about the the Union occupation and how the Civil War turned out. And Jesse and Frank were pretty abrupt about it from time to time in the way they operated a lot of things, which is a fascinating story to follow along with. If you ever get a chance, listeners, um, I'd encourage you to look into it um, because they they loved to live the lifestyle in some ways, but in other ways they were also very blunt about their beliefs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know that even still spills over today. And I think that that I think that. All that culture and how it's never really died, and I think that's led to a lot of the, I think that was a lot of the reasons why we had issues when we moved here and when we moved into the house. Well, it could be. Um, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize is, is sometimes you don't necessarily have as much of a individual ghost or entity or whatever more than you have a lot of positive and negative things in an area and the more negative things in one area the more negativity builds up and the more that collects it kind of builds an atmosphere and personalities of their own <laughs> yeah exactly and i i, I think that's kind of the, the truth about what is what's happened here you know there's a lot of negative energy, there was a lot of bitterness, a lot of hatred, and that's got to go somewhere, you know, and uh, fortunately, I kind of feel like it's just kind of like set right on top of our house when we moved here. Well, it very well could have been. There could have been a lot of things that happened throughout history, and your house be centralized around that area, and some things happen on the property, and and all of that stuff build up to a lot of occurrences that aren't one individual thing, but many, many things that can cause a bunch of situations to happen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and I've heard about that a lot. In fact, I'm going to a property this summer um, along with a research team that's now the family has left, but um, the theory is to test that. Um, Hopefully we don't get hurt in the process. I hate to say that, but you never know when you're going out to these things what's going to happen. <laughs> uh, yeah. But 
it would be interesting to find some result that positive and negative influence in an area that's built up for a while remains in that area. I know on a positive side, if you go to a massive group meeting, whether it's a religious meeting, whether it's a conference on positive emotion, whether it's a conference on guiding you the right way, whatever it is, when everybody is enthused in the room and everybody's happy and everybody's smiling, you can feel that. It's everywhere. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and I, you know, I, when I look back at our experience and I, I, and I talk to people about it and, you know, I kind of look back into my own past and my family's past and things that have happened that were kind of like, huh, now that kind of makes sense. You know, when you come to a place that has a whole bunch of negative energy, that has a negative history, that has bitterness and hatred, you know, and if you're sensitive to that as an individual, boy, that opens up the door to when a lot of stuff can just rush in. And I think that's what happened to us. You know, there was several incidents when we lived in other areas that certain things would happen and we just couldn't explain it. And we just kind of brushed it off. And then when we moved here, it was like almost from day one, this kind of weird stuff started happening. But it turns out that when we were doing the reveal of the show, you know, we asked, Amy told us, she said, the problem that you guys have is that each and every one of you are sensitive. There is something, each one of you has an ability and each one of you has a different ability. And that is just a, like somebody has just put an open sign on your house. So you are going to have to learn to protect yourselves. You're going to have to learn how to cleanse your, where you live. You're going to have to learn to control your environment. And I remember at the very end of the reveal, after they, they were done filming, she says to us that, you know, normally I would recommend that people like in your situation that you just move. But the problem is, is that no matter where you go, you're going to have issues. And who's to say that the issues that you have at a new location aren't going to be worse? So the problem is, you know, you're going to have to learn how to control these abilities. And you're going to have to learn how to protect yourself. And that's taken a lot of time. And we're, we're nowhere near where we need to be at that aspect of it. I mean, we, we're to the point now that we can control our house. And we can control what's going on, and we feel safe and secure. But there are sometimes, you know, if we don't do our due diligence, we can kind of start to feel that negativity kind of sink in. Well, and it's all, it's going to be a learning process for the rest of your life, um, because I, you know, I can vouch that uh, these things do follow you when when you have any type of. And I, I hesitate to call it a gift because I think a lot of human beings have different abilities based off of the fact that, well, a good percentage of our brain is not used. And whether you believe in God or somebody else, somebody's given everybody an individual gift. We generally show that in art or writing or um, career paths, but it goes a little bit deeper than that. Um, and I know from personal experience, you can move and, and if that thing doesn't follow you, something else is going to find you. I can assure you that. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely, I agree with that one hundred percent. Yeah, and 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 it takes a while to figure out how to balance that and and kind of control that. And even when you figure it out, from time to time, things slip through the cracks. <laughs> yeah, you know, you kind of start to 
getting to the point where you're comfortable and kind of out of sight, out of mind. And when that happens, you know, that's when that kind of, you put that, you click that open sign on once again, and whatever out there is going to say, Hey, I want to talk to you. And if you don't talk to me, if you don't talk back to me, bad things are going to happen. So it's kind of how I, I look at it now. So I, I can always tell when I, I'm not diligent, when I'm not wearing protection or I'm not, you know, having a positive attitude and I'm not, you know, kind of meditating and trying to control my emotions. I, I can tell, you know, well, it can, it can affect door. you if you don't, if you don't figure out that balance, you, you'll find one day that you're, you're angry for no reason at the world. You'll find strange things happen. Um, it's hard to explain, but I can certainly understand where you're coming from. You have to kind of figure out that balance and and what works best for you and and how to kind of – I hate to – hesitant to say this, but kind of to repel these things. Okay, I want positive things in my life. I don't want negative things in my life. I want to make sure my family's safe. I don't want bad things to come in. It's 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 a process. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it is a process, and you know it's a battle, and it's – you know, every single day, you know, you have to be diligent. And because you don't know what the next thing that comes in is going to be worse than what what you already dealt with. And that's kind of one of my biggest fears is like, okay, well, I got rid of this thing. I have this under control. But now how do I battle something that I don't know that is going to come? And as a, as a father and a husband, and, you know, I feel like I'm the protector and I, I always want to try to make sure my family's safe. So those are those are difficult thoughts sometimes that go through my mind. Well, and they're complicated thoughts um, as well. Once you once you have a family, your key aspect is always to take care of the family. I know that um, my wife. It took a long time for her to understand that. My kids still growing up. It took a long time for her to understand that. But. Uh, Our job as fathers is to take care of the family. We do that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We will sacrifice virtually everything for the family and generally do. We ask for nothing in return because it's our responsibility. It's what makes us proud. It's what makes us happy. We love our family. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And if you can't do that, it's scary. Sorry. Yeah. And and that was one of the things I really had a hard time dealing with because – all these things were going on around me, and I, I couldn't control the environment. You know, my the people in the family were, you know, they were terrified. You know, they were depressed. They were sick. You know, they didn't want to leave the house. You know, there was no more social interaction, really, not only just between us, but also just outside of the home. You know, we, we didn't have friends over. We didn't go over to friends' parties. You know, we, you know, our kids didn't go out and do things. So it was like all of a sudden we were just kind of sucked into our own house and didn't want to leave. And that's what that negative energy wants. You know, they, they, they want to have control over you. And that's to the point where if you were at that point that you were living your life that way. That is not the way you want to live. And that's the way they want you to live. And you you need to get help, and you need to get help right away. Well, yeah, because a lot of times these 
negative forces, whether they're ghosts, whether they're entities, whether it's just negativity, it feeds off of that situation. Um, and it's not fun to be fed off of. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, it really isn't. And it's heartbreaking when it happens to your kids. Even your your wife, I mean, anybody that you care about, listeners, when you run into a situation where it's out of your control, it's a very terrifying thing because if you're used to, to being able to help and you do help and you feel like you're the protector, when that gets taken away and you know there's nothing else you can do about it, you have no idea where to go next. You have no idea what to do. And that can be the scariest thing in the world. Now, if you take that and add it to a paranormal occurrence, it becomes even more scary because you can't reach out. If it's a normal occurrence, maybe you can reach out to a psychologist. Maybe you can reach out to a medical doctor. Maybe you can reach out and put and get some counseling. But you can't really do that when it's paranormal because if you try to reach out to those sources, they're just going to call you crazy. <laughs> yeah, they're going to call you crazy. They're going to diagnose you with something, and they're going to give you medication. And... That doesn't solve your problem. And, you know, I, I think now, after our whole experience, and I think as a human, as human beings, we are naive. It's naive thinking and kind of egotistical thinking to think that we are the only thing out there, that there's nothing beyond us. There's nothing beyond our world. And I just think that's that's a bad way to think, you know, because if we're thinking that way, there's other things out there that are saying, hmm, let me show you that there is more out there than just you. Or take advantage of the situation. If you look at it yeah. from the flip coins, if um, heaven and hell is real, positive and negative is real, let's use those as examples. If we have a almighty force and an all-lower force, then it would be logical that if you forget about that and you don't admit that there could be something there – then what would those forces do? Well, basically we're ants in their world, so why not manipulate the situation or show you that I'm here? If you want to mock me, I might smack you, <laughs> so exactly. to speak. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I, you know, I, I don't advocate any one religion over the other. You know, because when we, when we went, you know, one of the first things that we did. One of the things that we did try to do to get help is that we went to the church. We went to our church, and we went to our minister, and I remember sitting in his office, and we're telling him all this stuff is going on, and he listened, but he said, well, none of this can really be happening because, you know, only if you die, you either go to heaven or hell. You don't hang around. Only Jesus rose from the dead. And and none of this is possible because it's not it's not explained in the Bible. And I'm like, okay, you're basing all your research off of one book, you know. Let's kind of try to be open minded here, you know. So, and that was kind of disheartening, you know, because you know we, we you go to somebody for help who you think can help you and who would understand to like. Okay, they didn't help us. Now what are we going to do? And that was kind of where we were. And it was like I remember we were driving home from the meeting with our our minister, and we were just like, "What do we do now? You know, where do we go? Who do we turn to? What do we do?" 
And all that did was just kind of drive us back into our home where we didn't want to talk to anybody. Yeah, I can understand that definitely. I know that uh, I reached out to religious parties, um, and I had one church basically do the same thing. Uh, that's That can't happen. Uh, and then I finally got a pastor, um, Donald, which was a great guy. He listened to the whole story. He said, okay, I believe you. I'll, I'll come into your home. He witnessed the home. He said, okay, I can feel something here. Um, but it still turned to okay, well, I think you have demons, and I can't do anything for you. So yeah. you're like, okay, is that what you're supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, you don't just come in here and tell me there's something and just say, oh, by the way, it's probably worse than what I thought, but I can't help you. Yeah, exactly. That, that, that is uh, it's kind of how we felt. You know, when we when we turned to religion, you know, kind of thought that they felt like they believed us, but in the end, it was just like, no, I think you're a little off. And I remember stopping by the the Catholic Church, and I was just desperate, and I was talking to the priest, and I truly think that he believed me, but he said he couldn't help me because I wasn't Catholic. And he said, if you're willing to convert to Catholicism, I can help you. And I said, I don't have time to convert to Catholicism. Catholicism. I mean, I know that's a long, drawn-out process. I don't have time to do that. I need help now. So it, that was a very frustrating part of our whole story is, you know, trying to get the help and then not being able to get help. And then I'm sure you probably did the same thing at, 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 at one point that I did. Now, I was privileged enough to have my second team was a great team. They didn't go fully into the home. They guided me into the right areas. I learned how to control the situation, even though I couldn't change the situation until I left the home, uh, which was their final advice. Look, you should leave the home. Like Amy probably said, that's what she does with most people. Um, but you probably reached out and went to paranormal teams. And I can't figure out what's going on here. Okay, I'm looking into this. I see this on TV. Let's start calling around and see if I can find somebody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, when I look at our whole entire story, that picking the wrong team or being misled by the team, um, that was where things just really got completely out of control. And, you know, that's when we felt completely abandoned and alone. Because all they did was just make our situation worse. And, you know, we talked earlier about paranormal teams and how they should conduct themselves. You know, you always want to make sure your your key thing is, you know, help the family. So, and that's not how that's not how ours went. Because they they packed up in the middle of the investigation and left. So and and left us in the house, and we were kind of sitting there going. What do we do now? <laughs> you know, and things got really, really bad, and they are worse in a hurry. See, and, and I shouldn't say this, but it's kind of funny you say that. The first time we talked, I, I was glad to hear somebody say that because the first team that came into my home, they ran. They came in. They were in there for about three or four hours. Um, 
they um, I left them at one point. They wanted me in the home the whole time, uh, and I left them at one point and came back. And about the time I pulled in the driveway, they were packing up and leaving, and, and they never contacted me again. But whatever was in the home, the ego rose so greatly that now it wasn't just me and a handful of people being affected. Anybody that came into the home, it would say, hey, I'm here now. It would do the craziest things. So people refused to go in my home at one point. I didn't know how to handle it. Didn't have another place to sleep. So I stayed up most nights. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened to us. You know, it, all of a sudden people started, people who came into the house, they started hearing things. And, you know, we, we run a farm and a ranch. So we have clients that come to our home. And there was things that were happening when we had clients come into our house. So it was, it, it was really at that point, it was not only impacting us, it was impacting the people that were coming into it. And it was also impacting our ability to make a living. Yeah, it, it's amazing how much it, uh, it comes down on you. I had an external job that I left the home for on a regular basis and then came back to the home. And at one point, I didn't even feel like working. Um, because you're dealing with so much stress, and now nobody except for close friends would come to the home, um, and they didn't like being there, but they understood it was stressful on me, so they'd come in. They'd stay in the kitchen. They wouldn't go to other areas. Some of them would even go to the bathroom because they had experiences in the bathroom by themselves. Um, so it, it's just a very stressful situation. You really don't know how to deal with it, so you're almost at the point of giving up. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of how we were. You know, our our kids, um, their their parents wouldn't allow their friends to come over to the house, and and it, it got to the point where all of a sudden you're on an island and you're you're by yourself and you're you're trying to figure out how to fix all this stuff and all this stuff is happening. You know, you have this disembodied scream. You hear things every single night. You get to the point where you you can't sleep and things are starting to attack us. So we're kind of, what do we do? You know, no one will help us. And that's when we finally, let's reach out to the show. If it takes us getting on TV, so be it. We we got to do something. Now, in the end, she told you something similar to what a wonderful lady, and I never mentioned her name because I never asked her permission, but she is very well known, Um said to you kind of the same thing that was told to me. And I know that I never mentioned this lady's name because she gets slack on both sides. Some people say she's 100% fake. Some people say she's not. She's never been on television, so to speak, other than interviews, but she spent her whole life in the paranormal with her husband and a team for a little while. And she came to my home, walked up to the door, and she opened the door, and she stopped, and she came back out. And she said, okay, honey, we're going to talk out here. We went to a restaurant. She told me, I'm just going to be honest with you. We can go into the home. We can do our investigation, but here's the deal. This is something you're going to have to handle. And in order to do that, you're going to have to learn how to handle that. I can guide you. I can give you the connections you need. I can tell you who to go to. But ultimately, you're in control here. So you're going to have to learn how to bring more positive environment into the home and know that you're in control. If you don't do that, the thing that's in that house is going to feed off of you and everybody else that comes in. Um, and it's a piece of advice that I took for many, many years. 
I hadn't heard it until your last show. I don't know if I ever told you this or not, but I hadn't heard it until your last show. So it pleased me to hear that Amy basically kind of told you the same thing. Look, you just need to know how to get this control, and I can guide yeah, you exactly. into talking to the right people, but ultimately it's your choice. <laughs> yeah. you got to be strong, and you have to have the courage to do it, and you have to have the drive to do it because we were exhausted. You know, our reveal – you know, it's only about maybe five, ten minutes of the show, but that reveal lasted four hours. And, you know, a lot of information was thrown at us, and we were already tired. We were already exhausted, and now we need to do all this stuff. And, you know, you're, you're overwhelmed, and it takes a lot of energy to pull yourself up and do all that stuff, and it doesn't happen overnight. You know, we, we get people all the time that ask us, okay, so Amy told you to do all this stuff and you did it and everything was gone and everything was back to normal. Well, yeah, it's not back to normal and it didn't happen overnight. It has taken a year, a year and a half, you know, just to get to where we are now and, and we're, we're not there yet. It, well, it it'll take a lifetime. I mean, you, you, you know, like you, like you said, you, you have to learn how to manage it. You have to learn how to balance it. You have to realize you're in control. Those are the first steps, but then you're consistently learning from there and you're consistently studying and you're consistently, I hate to use the term cause people do it differently. For me, it's meditation, but, um, you know, there's different ways to kind of balance that bringing the positive back. And sometimes you forget it. Sometimes you have a long run, like you said, where you just get comfortable and now all of a sudden you're finding yourself or the situation just turning the absolute opposite direction. <laughs> yeah, and one of the things that we learned, and I, because I, Amy told us this, is that each one of us has abilities. Each one of you are sensitive. Each one of you have a different ability, so you're going to react to things differently and you're going to see things differently. And I took that... And I remember we, we all, the whole family talked, and I, and I took that information and I said, if any one of us says something is happening, we react to it, and we don't question it, and we fix it. You know, that's kind of how we live our life now. So if one of my kids comes to me and says, I heard footsteps last night, something's going on, you know, we believe it. We, we don't question it. You know, I... Our kids don't come to us very often with stuff like that, and I can tell if my kids are terrified, you know, but we take action and we fix it. You know, if we have to sage the house, if we have to cleanse the house, if we have to bring somebody in to do something, you know, we're, we're going to do it, and we're going to keep that control because if you don't do it right then and if you just brush it off, it's just going to get worse, and then we're going to be back in the same situation that we were in, and that's definitely not where I want to be. I can certainly agree. Listeners, a brief pause here before we find out where you can hear more about Lance's story because he has a website that I've attached, but he'll probably have a few other things to talk to you about. You've been listening to BBS. BBS is one of the largest digital radio stations here on the internet and across the United States of America. So I do encourage you, if you're going to do a podcast or a radio show, go with the best, go with BBS. Paranormal Truth and Reality is going to continue our crossover episodes. We're going to talk to several people, including 
one of the guest hosts from the last one with Dean Knight to have him on. We're also going to reach out to some of the other paranormal shows that are on BBS so that we can do some crossovers and discuss some paranormal talk. A couple of other things you may be interested in. David Ullman's episode on Ghost Adventures and his wonderful house up there that we're going to be visiting next year is on television this weekend. So make sure that you tune in and watch the replay. It's very interesting, of course. Um, we will be at several different conventions throughout the next few weeks, but I do want to address one thing. Due to the weather and the situations in Bryan, Ohio, with the weather, we had to leave early, unfortunately. Now, there's been a lot of talk throughout things that a lot more things were going on. From the standpoint of Paranormal Truth and Reality, it had absolutely nothing to do with Bryan, Ohio, or the managing team, or the team that was out there hosting the event. I have great respect for Brian Ohio. I have great respect for Austin Maynard, and I have great respect for Tennessee Ray Chasers. So listeners, please understand that we left because of the weather. And I apologize for all of those people that came out for signings on behalf of Paranormal Truth and Reality. I wish I could have spent more time with you. We've been listening to Lance Eberhardt and his wonderful story as we catch up a little bit. Lance, where can they find you if they want to look into the story a little bit more? Well, they can, they can find it. We do have a blog that tells our whole story from the very beginning to where we are now and everything that transpired. And you can find that on our website, and that is mismastejasranch.com. And that's M-I-S-M-A-S-T-E-J-A-S and ranch, R-A-N-C-H.com. Beautiful. And make sure that you actually watch the replay of the episode. I'll put it up on my Facebook page here over the weekend, and of course it will be attached to ParanormalTruthAndReality.com so that everybody can look through the episode. Um, I'm sure that I'm uh, able to say this. If you're going through this situation and you need somebody's guidance to send you in the right direction, feel free to contact Lance or any one of the individuals that have been through this before because they're very delightful people and they are pretty open about trying to give you suggestions at least. They're normal people, so they're not going to tell you what you should do, but they can at least encourage you that you're not alone. Yeah, exactly. That is the key. If anybody is having issues, please, and, and you, if you just want to vent, if you just want to talk to somebody who's been through it, we're, we're very open about our experience. And our, like I said, our goal is to hopefully give people the strength and courage so that they can come out and get help and not have that fear of being ridiculed or judged. And that's the key, because if you feel like you're alone, that's not the way to go. You need to actually talk to people that understand. And there are a lot of us out there. We're just in the same boat you are. Yeah. Uh, one one last note, everybody, WCGT Radio will be having the first live call-in of callers that roughly are going to range somewhere around 15 to 25 people with the ability to call in to discuss the paranormal. Now, I do encourage you to do that tomorrow, but use your own accord, obviously, because it's going to be on a digital radio station that's not under my control. I'm just going to be one of the callers. So um, obviously watch your language, make sure that they're a broadcast station, and the controller will kick you very quickly if you're not. Um, you've been listening to BBS Radio next week on BBS. We actually have a very unique individual that's a very positive person. I won't announce his name, but pay attention to Paranormal Truth and Reality's page and Facebook's page as we introduce him next week. He's a wonderful guy. You're going to love him. I'm enjoying talking to Lance, and of course, I'll enjoy talking to him. I'm going to end this show the way I end it every single week. In the paranormal, 
through should always be the reality around you. You're having a chance to listen to a little bit more of Lance's story. Lance is one of many, many people out there that deal with paranormal occurrence. Yes, you do have the handful of people that want the pain, that want the television show. Yes, you do have a handful of people that have lied throughout the years. But there's more people out there that haven't lied and just seek help. I encourage all of you to understand that. Those of you that need help, reach out to people like Lance and other people that have told their stories before. Ask them where to get help. Ask them questions. They'll be glad to help you out a little bit and at least let you know that you're not alone. And investigators, understand that people are people too. We all want to find the evidence. But when you're in a residential home, it's not about the evidence. It's about helping. That's our show. We'll talk to you next week. Until then, have a very good weekend.